Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or more of a grammar Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan, which you don't know how to work, which we found out. <laughs> yeah, you you posted a video of me on the grammar, and I didn't uh, know what happened until like a week later. So I just had to explain it to him. He's like, "Why is this in my message box?" I was like, <laughs> that, "I can't." Is that how I sounded? <laughs> Honestly, like an, old, like an old Confederate general in my head. Why yes. is this in my inbox? <laughs> All right, off and running today on the show. Josh Kendall going to join us from The Athletic covering all things South Carolina. He's covered them for a very long time. We'll give you some really interesting insight into what the search is going to be like for South Carolina. Who is going to be in control of the search? Who are they going to go after? Because, of course, the big story today, Aaron, the biggest story, of course, is is Will Muschamp. And you will have, coming up in a few minutes, a another Aaron Dugan production. So stay tuned for that. We'll get to that in a little while. We do have some, like, bad stories we have to cover today we have to as well uh we'll get to that before you hear from josh kendall but we got to start with with one watch champ getting fired and we'll, we'll dive into how you evaluate coaches aaron in 2020 and how hard it is we'll get to that but i don't think this was that big of a surprise i, I think he you know didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room coming into the year and even though i don't really think that coaches should be evaluated on what happened just in 2020, you know, he probably shouldn't have been the guy at South Carolina in the first place. So I don't really have a huge issue. I don't have to pay the $13 million to get him out of his contract, Aaron, but how surprised were you? And do you have an issue with South Carolina making a move in the middle of a pandemic with a whole lot of money missing from the coffers? I'm not surprised. And I am okay with it because like you said, I think they're using this as a data point. I don't get rid of someone in 2020 solely because of what happened in 2020. I think that is a little bit short-sighted, but this was already this was already a thing. And let's be honest, they really wanted out if they're spending this kind of money this year. Will Muschamp's probably sipping a Mai Tai somewhere by now um, and didn't get a – I know he wants to be a head coach in the SEC, but not a horrible situation to be in if you're him, what, like $22 million from Florida and South Carolina over the course of the last however long? Yeah, I want to say it was like six and some change from Florida, and it's about 13 so almost $20 million. That's a lot of million dollars. To not work. To, you, to you said he stop wants to be... doing what you're doing. Please stop doing what you're doing, and we will pay you a God. lot of money to do that. Yeah, the buy- I've known a bunch of coaches that have been fired in the SEC. The buyout life is the best life. Gotta it's, be. It's not even close. And I will say this. I know he wants to be a head coach in the SEC. You've had two chances now. Like you, you've, you've been given the opportunity, and one of them, Florida, was a premier institution with all, the, all of the things. And I never understood the hire at South Carolina. I know they wanted Kirby Smart, and Kirby Smart ended up flirting with South Carolina, going to Georgia. And that's what ended up with Will Muschamp. I just never understood, you know, Florida is South Carolina with all of these things. Like they have more more of all the same things and an easier schedule in the exact same division. Coaching at South Carolina is like coaching at Florida, but a much tougher with less stuff. I just never understood the maneuver. If Will Muschamp wasn't going to be good at Florida, you know, why would he have been good at South Carolina? I, I don't I don't know. I agree with you. And not only everything you just said, you have a bigger uh, you have e- arguably even more talent coming out of 
that area. I mean, I know South Carolina is close to a lot of things. You're in, you know, a stone's throw from Georgia. You have a bunch of programs, big time programs around you. So there's a lot of competition. There's also a lot of good kids coming out of that area. But Florida is, I mean, that's big time too in the recruiting sense. So you attack that on top of everything you just said. If you can't excel on the same side of the same division with the same amount or more stuff and potentially more recruits and maybe less competition, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. So I never understood it in the first place either. Yeah. And and when we say more stuff, it's like, which, which school has more history and tradition of success? Florida, which school has a better recruiting base, Florida, which school has a, a, you know, I'm going to say slightly bigger budget and or more resources, Florida, you you know, and Oh, by the way, Florida doesn't have to play Florida every year. (laughs) South Carolina doesn't get to play South Carolina every year. They have to play Florida. You know what I mean? Like it just, I I never understood it. So it's not a surprise that it took place. I am a little surprised that, that we've seen a move so quickly. This has to be tied of course to Hugh freeze. And you will learn a lot more about who wants Hugh freeze in Columbia, South Carolina when we talk to Josh, because it sounds like, and when you listen to the interview, it sounds like one of the decision makers really wants Hugh Freeze and one of the decision makers really doesn't want Hugh Freeze. And so, again, you'll hear from Josh on that. I, I think the more interesting discussion, I and mean, we can get to coaches that you want to see South Carolina go after, Aaron, if you want. I, I just, before we do that, I, I want to know what are reasonable expectations for South Carolina. And I think, unfortunately, we need to maybe break some hearts here on this. If you're 7-5, and 8-4, and 9-3 and three at South Carolina most years, I think you're doing a pretty good job. I, I don't think you should be expected to win SEC East championships all the time at South Carolina. I think that's unreasonable. I agree with you. I'm not sure every fan would say the same thing. Sure. Because they, again, look at what everybody else has. Like, oh, we spend that much money. We have that big of a fan base. Our tickets are still expensive as shit, even though we're bad. Like, they are like, wait, what's the difference here? And so I think their expectations are a little bit different than mine are for the program at this moment. Well, you're not a fan of the program. I'm not a fan of the you're program. You're now a member of the media now with this podcast. Oh, God. So that means you have to be objective and rational and reasonable. Fan is not short for any of those words. Fan is short for fanatic. Fringe. For a reason. So I, I think with those expectations in mind, and you talked about this last week, you would not put your athletic director job on the line for Hugh Freeze. I wouldn't put much on the line for Hugh Freeze, especially not my over a million dollar and north of that salary. You, if you, somebody's going to hire him, and then you have to like de-louse after the press conference. So you got a, a whole lot of Axe body spray or take a shower or something because you're going to feel dirty when you hire him. But you could do a lot worse than Hugh Freeze in South Carolina. I don't think you should hire Hugh Freeze if you're South Carolina. I, to me, they need someone that is their own that which not to mention you just spend a lot of money getting rid of Will Muschamp you don't have this insane budget for a hire right now not saying Hugh Free they couldn't figure it out I'm sure they could but he's it's already like kind of sloppy seconds it's like just get someone that's new that's your own that I'm thinking of course I'm from Memphis so I think about my head goes to Fuente Mike Norvell like guys that came in with something different that 
the fans didn't really totally understand. They're like, I don't really know how this is going to work, but I'm excited for it. And it's different at a stepping. Memphis is a stepping stone. And you know, those guys are going to come in, turn a program around if they do turn a program around and then move on to something that is a, that is the next step up. But if you can find a guy like that and give them a South Carolina job in the best conference in the country, they might just make that a lifetime project and, how you can have everyone lean in. Yeah. So when we talk to Josh Kendall from the athletic a little bit later on, you'll, he's going to talk about Hugh freeze. He's going to talk about Jeff Munkin. He'll, he's going to talk about Jamie Chadwell at coastal Carolina. He's going to talk about, um, will Healy at Charlotte, who I, who I think is very, very highly of there. There's a lot of names. He's going to talk about Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama, the assistant coach who now has, of course, the, uh, the stamp of the Nick Saban rehabilitation clinic on his forehead and on his resume. Uh, you know, the names that he and I did not talk about that I'd like to bring up are sort of to your point. If you can find an already established sort of sitting power five coach that really wants that little sec patch on their shoulder pad and wants the big contract and the pressure, you know, a, a Matt Campbell at Iowa state, a Jeff Brom at Purdue, a Scott Satterfield at, at Louisville, these guys that have pretty good jobs, but South Carolina could be considered like an equivalent job, but in the SEC, you know, he's going to talk, by the way, Josh will talk a lot about Billy Napier, who's going to be a number one candidate for most people from Louisiana. So I also think that there's a, another path besides hiring a group of five guy, which is going to the power five, find an established guy who just really desperately wants to be in the SEC. And I don't know who those guys are. Jimmy Sexton probably does, <laughs> but, but I don't. Um, I just give you the names that I think would qualify and do a good job, like Brom Satterfield, you know, PJ Fleck at Minnesota, you know, culture guy, you know, rah rah gets a lot of attention, has won it at Minnesota and Western Michigan. If he's really desperate to get out of Minnesota, which is a hard place to win, and come to the South and coach in the SEC, that's a guy I would go after. That in my mind is the move. Someone like that, someone like Chadwell, some someone like Napier. I, see, I always have a trouble with that. Why Napier? Did I say it right? No, yeah. you did. But the, the difference is they're not power five guys. They don't have power five experience. Like, those are good names. I would. I think Billy Napier is probably the guy they go after, to be honest with you. I just think you can, if you're the SEC, I think you knock on a few doors in the power five ranks first before you go to the to the Sun Belt. That makes sense. Or whatever. Do we know how, will it ever be, how, how much money do you think they're working with? Um, I, if Michigan state can hire somebody at $4 million, four and a half million dollars, I think you can hire somebody in the three, four, $5 million range. Yeah. Again, you pass the bucket, right? Like it's, right. this is, you go to your biggest boosters and you say, Hey, help us out. Something True. we're going to talk with Josh about, by the way. Um, so before we move on and talk about how coaches should be evaluated in 2020 and get to Tennessee, Vanderbilt and Auburn, namely, uh, two of those teams are going to play this weekend and we'll get to whether or not those those administrations should make moves on those teams or not. Um, Would you like to, would you like to set up our next segment here on the show from, from Aaron, Aaron Dugan productions that brought us, of course, uh, drunken Bama, Georgia game at your friend's house that brought us, you know, the meltdown from Knoxville edition. Would you like to set this up? This is making me feel like I deserve a mixtape. You do. This is track three. (laughs) I am a big reach out to the people that are most affected by change, by things <laughs> going on. I like to get right in the middle of those people and just, you know, poke them for their emotions. One of my best friends, I call him Teaster. His last name's Teaster. Um, Steven Teaster is a diehard, is a South Carolina native, is a diehard Gamecocks fan. And I asked him his opinion on, you know, 
everything going on? Who do you want? Um, what do you guys need to do? Do you all agree? Um, and this was this was his response. We are just as involved and just as passionate for for every for all intents and purposes as Alabama fans, and we have no fucking reason to be. Oh, I, I, can I? I probably can't cuss. You can cuss. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, so <laughs> the reason that Carolina fans talk about the football team like they're a powerhouse is because in every other aspect except for our records, we should be. Budget, your fan base, your, your facilities, the links that Carolina will go to. We just paid a coach $15 million to stop. To say, please, please, for the love of God, stop coaching this football team you know how insane that is to get that kind of money just to stop your job because you're that bad at it cracks me up like hayden hurst there's uh, the the twitter rampage from like the coach the players and everybody they think they're coming to his aid and saying like will muschamp taught me this this and that great i guarantee you at no point during the conversation of them firing him was his uh character brought in nobody said like you're fired because i saw you fucking rob a salvation army santa one time we're saying you're fired because you can't win football games let's play some football let's not talk about how the, this guy's gonna go cry into his million dollar lake mansion with his 13 million dollar buyout okay let's pick up somebody who's a little younger a little feistier look at Dabo. like Dabo was a gamble Dabo has literally yuck yucked himself into coaching Hall of Fame because of this sh- dumb redneck shtick he does. And, like, that wasn't supposed to work. College Clemson football fans would jump in front of a fucking bullet for, or more appropriately, would jump in front of a wad of dip spit for Dabo Sweeney. Like, they would lay their lives down for that man. We're getting off, off track. Um, take a page out of their book. Go, go for a gamble. Well, there you have it, folks. The memoir of an angry Gamecock. You know Gamecocks are angry when they say, whatever, just tear a page out of Clemson's book. Ooh, yeah, that's not good. In diff- Paraphrased, good. but yeah, you can tell they just, they're willing to try whatever. Well, and one of the things, going back to our conversation about expectations that I think was interesting was, you know, that, that he said something like along the lines of, well, we've got all the stuff. We've got the money. We've got the fans. And, and that's what I've always admired about South Carolina fans. They will show up 90,000 strong to watch a shit product. And they have for like 75 years. And I'll give them a lot of credit for that because the trains and the show, the opening and the tailgate's great. And don't get me started on your stupid mustard barbecue, but whatever. Um, I, I think everything about the program is admirable. Like you, I, can, I admire all the commitment from all the people. You just, you just haven't sh- gotten anything to show for it. In 75 years. So I understand your, I understand Teaster's frustration. <laughs> Teaster. The might, record, the record is not, is not there and they're ready to see something on paper. So I'm, I'm okay with firing Will Muschamp because I don't think it was the right hire in the first place. How do you, eval- how do you think we should evaluate coaches in 2020? Cause this brings in Tennessee, Auburn and Vanderbilt to some degree. Now, Derek Mason, much closer to the hot seat when the season started than either Jeremy Pruitt or Gus Malzahn. But when you're the head coach at Auburn, you're sort of just on the hot seat permanently. So uh, Auburn and Tennessee will play this weekend. Uh, There is no reason to expect Tennessee to be good enough to go down to the Plains and win that game. Now, if Auburn were to lose, then Gus could find himself in really serious trouble. Uh, You know, Tennessee, uh, you know, it's all house money. Any games that Pruitt wins from this here on out, it's all house money, but it's not going to get prettier in Knoxville should they continue to lose. I'm getting closer and closer, Aaron, as I watch major programs all across the country suck at football. I am close to just saying I don't think we should evaluate 
coaches strongly on 2020. It should be a tiny data point, not a big data point. Small data point is what, yeah, that's what it needs to be in 2020. There's just too many, there are too many moving pieces to really, they always say to make a good study, you need to control, you have to have a control. Every other, everything has to be controlled besides, you know, whatever, you know, you're science right. reference. V variables, right? Controlled Vari yeah. variables versus. Which you can't do. This uncontrolled year. variables you absolutely there's too many variables to control enough to really get a good read on a coach what, what happened was spring practice normal nope was recruiting period and may evaluation period normal it was not was fall camp and summer camp and practice and weightlifting and nothing normal was was is practice from week to week been normal no how the number of games the schedule the like none of it's the same which is why none, neither of us have a problem with must champ. And I also, in general, grade coaches off of what are you able to do? This makes this is pretty simple. What are you able to do with what you're given? I do think someone, and obviously I can speak from experience at Vanderbilt, we're not given everything, or they're not given everything that Will Muschamp was given. So I think you have a little bit more wiggle room there. Um but you go to a, a program like Auburn, like Tennessee, and again, I'm not ready for you to pull the plug on for them to pull the plug on Gus. I think that'd be premature. But the he, also he the beat, way he beat you Nick Saban last year exactly, <laughs> and but I think the way you lose and who you lose to badly uh, can kind of expedite that process, and that's where Jeremy Pruitt runs into an issue. Yeah, and I don't – again, I'm fine giving both guys a clear path in 2020 and say, all right, come back in 2021 and, and pressure's on to win. You got to win. And I'm okay with, like, raising the stakes and making it really high for Jeremy Pruitt in 2021 and saying, look, you don't get to nine or ten wins and challenge for the East, you're done, dude. And I'm okay with the bar being high for next year if we're going to punt on this year. If you're going to take this year into full account, I just – I don't know. It's just hard for me to see it that way. I. Again, we're barely playing games. <laughs> like we had four of them canceled last week. We have half of more than half the slate we would have talked about on this show didn't happen because of a global freaking pandemic. I just don't think we should be evaluating coaches at the same level that we do in the past. And I know fans don't want to hear that. Well, you also don't want to spend what South Carolina just spent to get rid of their coach in a year where your revenue is already down. That's going to make you putting throwing a bunch of money towards a better coach a year from now. That that to me is you know count your battles. What what happens Auburn Tennessee? You know if Auburn loses at home to Tennessee, I think the the pitchforks and torches are out in full force in Auburn. Again, don't think it should happen, but. Nothing would surprise me after that because I don't – there's no reason for Auburn to lose this game to Tennessee. There's not, and that's where the who you lose to and how thing comes into play. And with the way Tennessee's looked this year, Auburn is not going to be okay with losing to them. Even if it even if it shouldn't all be on Gus and it, it shouldn't make them pull their pitchforks out this year, it will because of how Tennessee looks. So let me throw out a list of coaches that suck right now. James Franklin. His team sucks right now at Penn State. Jim Harbaugh, his team sucks right now at Michigan. I mentioned P.J. Fleck, Minnesota, preseason top 25. They suck. Nebraska, perennially great program, not of late. They suck this year. Florida State, you mentioned Mike Norvell, sucks this year. LSU, defending national champs, one of the worst defending national championship seasons of all time. They suck. Tennessee sucks. Like, these are major – this can't be a coincidence. 
that all these major programs are just all sucking in the year that we had a pandemic. I don't know. And maybe I'm being too easy on these guys. I don't know. No, I think you make a strong case. When you pull out all of those names, people that are of the utmost respect in this industry, in this sport, in this game, and then talk about how badly they all suck and their teams suck, it, you have to look. Everyone's, everyone is in this um, siloed hole staring at their own team in total criticism, which is normal because that's what you care the most about. Sure. But – yeah, you may, you put names like James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh and talk about how bad they suck this year. It really kind of puts things in perspective. Well, and how about Georgia, Texas, and Oklahoma? All three preseason top 10 playoff contenders combined six losses halfway into the year. <laughs> I'm, I just I don't think that's a coincidence. No, so. it's this is just an anomaly of right. life. And now, Vanderbilt, you know, again, a little different. He entered the season with a lot more pressure to win and has been bad and could go 0-10. I wouldn't be surprised if Vanderbilt moved on him. Uh, I think there are lots of good options out there for Vanderbilt to go get somebody. I think they should do something different. I also wouldn't be surprised that a notoriously conservative athletic department doesn't spend any money during a pandemic and keeps Derek Mason around either. Do you have a sense for what Vanderbilt's going to do? I have a feeling that Vanderbilt will write this off as pandemic year. It's just one of those things. Did what we could. Uh, they might not say they don't want to spend the money because Vanderbilt, you know, they have a brand. They have a brand image to me. They're maintain. not. They're not <laughs> humble about their bank account particularly, but, but I think but Mason gets when another. It comes to athletics. Don't get me started. <laughs> but I, I think Mason gets another shot at it. I don't know how the rest of the fan base feels about that. I I still think Vanderbilt. You know, I don't think it's all on him. I think there's a lot more support that the the program needs in general and. You know, you can you can point all the fingers at him, but I think he he gets to stay. And and they're a thirty one and a half point underdog this week against the Florida Gators. So well, look at the Gators. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. Um, by the way, Georgia, you know, hosting Mississippi State. Um, Missouri has played two football games to, to kind of piggybacking off of this um, COVID thing. And I promise we'll get to some positive news here in a second. There, Missouri has played two games. When they play against South Carolina on Saturday, it will be their third game in 42 days. I don't know how you evaluate a football coach and a, and a bunch of players when they have played two two games in like 36 days and now a third game in 42 days. I just don't know how you do it. I don't know how it's reasonable to evaluate those guys. A third game in 42 days. Yeah, when they play on Saturday, it'll be if they play. And again, there's a bunch of like with Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, we don't have any. We have no no clue how many players are available for Missouri. <laughs> like we just we just don't. Right. Same thing for Vanderbilt. And it's hard. Well, when things keep changing, you're not. Yeah, you have more downtime, more rest time. It also makes you rusty in some senses. And the most important thing is game week. Like that that Sunday or really Monday through Saturday you know there's a lot to the structure of that particular game week and then you have this build up for this game then you don't end up playing and you repeat it I, it just the structure is so important to college football and there is none of that when you have the month they've had we, we are this deep into the show and have not even mentioned that Ole Miss and A&M is not going to happen <laughs> like it's not even a story it's a blip a, on the radar after last game, week that a game's been canceled it's like not even it's it's ridiculous now south carolina is a six and a half point underdog at home to missouri i will say this kevin harris has had a great season for south carolina he's a really fun player to watch give him a lot of credit 
over 800 yards rushing. I think he's the leading rusher in the SEC, 13 touchdowns. So Missouri's, you know, Connor Bazelak. Like, there's there's stuff to watch in that game. It's also one of the lowest point spreads of the week. You know, Georgia-Mississippi State, uh, you know, again, I don't, Georgia is sort of a, I don't want to say an afterthought, but they're still a top 15 team. And if Florida slips up somewhere, then maybe Georgia could sneak in. So I guess that matters, but that's pretty boring. 25 point spread. Um, we'll get to Alabama and Kentucky in just a second. LSU, Arkansas should be a great game this weekend. Uh, let's hope LSU can actually play football games. And of course, Florida at Vanderbilt. Um, let's do some positive stuff before we move on from Vanderbilt and Kentucky, because I did think that at the start of the game last weekend, if you missed it, Mark Stoops in Kentucky came out, did not have a left guard because their offensive line coach, John Schlarman, passed away after a long battle with cancer last week, 45 years old. And I know I said good news, so just bear with me here because that's obviously not good news. Um, but Vanderbilt also dealt with this, and I'll let you go into more detail on that, Aaron, in just a minute. They they lost a, a, a coach and a player – or a coach and a, a teammate, let's call him, back in May. Derek Mason declined the penalty – Kentucky got a penalty because they didn't have the, enough guys, and you know Derek Mason declined the penalty. And I, I thought it was a really small gesture by both coaches that are clearly dealing with a lot of emotion and know about what the other one is going through because they've been through similar situations. And I just thought it was one of those moments where I could look at competitors on an athletic field that still had some level of empathy and respect for each other, and that, to me, gave me some hope, Aaron. <laughs> I know... There's not a lot in 2020. It's a terrible story. It can go run into traffic. But th this that that moment, it, it brought made me smile a little bit. And I, I feel like I need more of those moments. We definitely all need them this year. But regardless of when that was, yes, it was a sign of respect. And, of course, Mason was not going to not decline the penalty. You know that's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that it it still didn't feel good. It honestly made me pretty emotional. And I think part of that was due to – you know, I, I watched what happened with Coach Lewis at Vanderbilt and, you know, he's 57, um, you know, passes away of cancer and he's was such a big part of that family, just like Schlarman was and will continue to be even if he's not here for Kentucky. And then you, these and then, they, and then they played a decent football game. And then they played a decent football game. Yeah. I, I just yeah, there's there's some feelings there. And C Turner Cockrell, of course, passing away. Um, while he was a player at Vanderbilt, you see really from the inside out what how close these people are um, as a team, as really a family. So it's a lot bigger than just, you know, a declined penalty and, you know, leaving a guy out. It's it's symbolic of a lot more than that. Well, and like you said, like it was never going to not happen. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that when it does happen, you aren't like, oh, man, that's what like human decency looks like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just uh, it sucks that it happened in such a bad moment, but I really needed it. I, I don't you know, I know I, did too. I know we're waxing poetically about a 30 second thing that happened. But like I just it would have did it is it allowed me to feel what it would have been like to be inside that locker room for Kentucky and knowing that Vanderbilt was feeling all of the same things. Yeah, I thought it was appropriate that they were playing each other this week. I thought it was appropriate that the two coaches have been through what they've been through. Now they get to go through it sort of together in a way that maybe helps them. I, I don't know. I'm just I have I'm trying chills, to find positives honestly. here. If you didn't see that, go back and watch a clip of it. It's pretty powerful. Um, so that's that, that was positive to me, even though it came out of a really negative story, obviously, or a sad story, I should say. Um, Kyle Trask last week against Arkansas. Uh, you know, he's Vegas now has him at plus 250 to win the Heisman. He is now tied with 
Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Mac Jones. So two quarterbacks in the SEC are tied for the lead to win the Heisman Trophy. I am a voter, and so therefore I cannot tell you who I would vote for right now. But it's hard to argue against Kyle Trask. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> he's he's been exceptional. And as tough as it's been to watch Kyle Pitts not get to play after that hit, that injury, what it does do is really solidify not only gives the Gators a chance to continue to develop the other weapons they have on offense which will come in handy as we get further into the season and a playoff situation and how I don't even know how many guys he's thrown I mean it's like probably double digits now guys that have like for touchdown receptions I don't know nine or ten maybe okay um but with (laughs) Kyle with I know what that means now yeah with Kyle Pitts out um it really does shine even more of a light on Kyle Trask. Ten like, different guys, ten different Florida Gators have caught a touchdown pass. See, that's crazy. And for it, it definitely helps his case. It does not help the team overall. They're going to need Kyle Pitts back. Um, but it does show you that this this is a Trask thing. I mean, he's he's different. And Dan Mullen too. The the marriage between the two. True. It's the system and the quarterback, and when they are on the same page, man. And when you're being compared to Joe Burrow, that's all I need to know. Here, the numbers are absurd. 2,100 yards, 2,171, 10.3 yards per attempt, 70% completion percentage, 28 touchdowns, three picks. Now, voters are going to have to use more of a per-game basis this year because teams are going to have so many different numbers of games. But I, I have Florida in my top four. I have Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Ohio State 3, Florida 4. I have them ahead of Notre Dame, ahead of A&M, and I know there's head-to-head stuff in there, and people are disagreeing with me on Twitter, and that's fine. My explanation about Florida is I just watch the offense, and I go, tell me who's going to stop them. I don't think Alabama's going to stop them. I don't think that Florida's going to beat Alabama, but I don't think Alabama's going to stop Florida. I, I, I would put Florida in a game against almost anybody right now, and I feel pretty comfortable with Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen. Every week, it's harder to deny that they are right up there with pretty much everyone and they have so many different ways that they're putting points on the board it's like you want to stop one way okay we have nine other you know a million other ways to score so as a defense trying to prepare for an offense like that I don't know what your approach looks like but I know that you know in terms of getting all the reps in and practice that you need to and in simulating enough scenarios to you know, be ready for anything Florida is going to bring at you would be very difficult and would take a lot longer in practice than they have time for. And, and I kind of feel bad for Arkansas. Like Sam Pittman wasn't there. I know who your boy, your boy, Sam Pittman wasn't there. Love Barry it. Odom coach. They scored 35 points, which is incredible, but they gave up 60 plus to Florida. So I, you know, Arkansas, I don't know what to make of them. They're going to play LSU this weekend. And that's, we'll get to, we'll get to LSU in a second. I don't. I have no clue what to make of that game, but I'm I'm kind of rooting for Arkansas now. I, you, you've sort of got me onto the Sam Pittman bandwagon. God, I'm I'm all the way on the Sam Pittman bandwagon. He's just great. <laughs> um, what I was, and we talked about this. I didn't. We didn't plan on talking about this, Braden. But do you know a lot about Kyle Trask's high school situation? I thought this. This I was thinking about you, and I was reading stuff about this the other day because you always talk about we argue kind of about the mental toughness of quarterbacks and I'm a little bit softer about it um, (laughs) because they are in such, so in the limelight, but he came up in high school behind um, Derek King, right? I can't. Derek King. Derek King. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, the apostrophe and the capital E should have 
Yep, Derek. Derek. Um, Doing good things for Miami this this season. His high school coach, last name's Martin. I can't remember his first name at the moment, but talked a lot about you know the mental toughness of Kyle Trask coming up through high school behind you know someone with the level of talent that King has, and they talked about his dad talked about moving him and. I don't think either Kyle nor his high school coach wanted that. And I have a feeling that coming up behind the best of the best and having to compete like that um, and not knowing if you're going to get to play probably has a lot to do with his mental toughness now. Yeah, I think it was it was pretty well documented that he hadn't started in high school um, when he kind of got the job at the beginning of last season when Felipe Franks got hurt. Manville, Texas, I believe, is where they're from. Uh, and he did play behind Derek King, who was a much higher level recruit, of course, than Kyle Trask. But Trask was like a three-star recruit, even as a backup player. But I think you're right. It, it's, it shows you that whole story arc of Kyle Trask shows you that it's like if you are mentally tough enough to just persevere through all this stuff, there's a chance you come out the other end and be successful. Matt Castle famously in the NFL played a lot of years in the NFL, right? Did not start at USC wasn't a starting quarterback and they and, and still got drafted by the Patriots because <laughs> because the bell check will find you I guess but that that's that's sort of an example of what I'm talking about it speaks to it doesn't matter how many reps you get how many games you play how many interceptions you throw if you are mentally tough you will keep coming back for more yeah it's leaning into the adversity factor and not right. trying to pay the the route that's just going to get you the most exposure all right, so let's cover before we get to Josh Kendall from the Athletic. Let's let's dive into a couple of topics here that are not of for the faint of heart. Uh, one will be far more serious than the other one, and I and I planned on Aaron. It's funny I planned on going on this long rant about how Tennessee assistant coaches are choosing not to take pay cuts, even though everyone in their athletic department who makes very little money around them and does all of their work to help these coaches do their jobs better regardless of what they do or how much money they make, are taking mandatory pay cuts at the University of Tennessee. This was a story broken in the Knoxville News Sentinel. And as an alumni, it pisses me off that I am watching a guy make $1.6 million who does not care about the people around him in the facility, who are all taking a pay cut, who make a fraction of the amount of money you make. So now I'm kind of default doing the rant. I came in wanting to do this rant and scream about, this tells me all I need to know about the character of who you are if you are not with Jeremy Pruitt took a cut, Philip Fulmer, the AD took a cut, two other coaches, T Martin and Jay Graham, no shock alumni of the school took a pay cut. And the other eight assistant coaches chose not to take pay cuts. It's their right to not take a pay cut, but with a giant budgetary shortfall of like $40 million. And we could talk about overspending in college football. That's certainly another topic for another time, but I, I came in wanting to yell and scream about this. And then LSU happened does put things in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, like I'm pissed off at Jim Chaney and all these other guys for not doing their part to help the the a budget-crunched company that, you know, could lay people off, in theory. 5% of Jim Chaney's contract is $80,000. That could be two employees. I will say... You could keep two people employed <laughs> at the university because of that. I will say... I, I saw something read somewhere that people are... Or maybe it's on Twitter, people making the argument of... Well, even if they take that pay cut, who knows if it's going to go directly to those employees? Well, I'm telling you that I don't still don't know who it was, but there is someone at Vanderbilt um, high up that chose probably even without being asked to take one. And it did help on the front end of COVID when they were talking about having to make cuts the first time. And 
it did go there. So it is possible. Like, I, I don't. I, I'm sorry if you're a company, the person making the most money should take the cut first. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an emergency situation, you, yep. you don't put people in, you don't put people in their families on the streets. I'm, I'm no, sorry. That's it, just not the right move. And it again, seem right. it, it's not about legally what they should or shouldn't do. It's not like a legal question. Like Jim Cheney has a contract. He does not have to take a pay cut. That's it. That's the legal discussion. There's no more discussion to it. He can choose what he wants to. It's not about that for me. It's about what you should do. And <laughs> you know, what you should do is try to look out for the people around you that help you do your job. And by the way, <laughs> you're, you're a job you're doing miserably right now. <laughs> yeah, they should tell him who exactly he's responsible for no longer being employed. Be like, <laughs> well, now they haven't fired anybody, so it's I, not, know, I know, I you know, I know. Like you said, it's not column A to column B directly. It's but it's not. But but there's forty million dollars in a budget shortfall. That means belts are getting tightened. And why don't you tighten your belt, Jim Cheney? It's fairly large, anyway. Ooh. Yeah, that was rude. Well, you he went low, and and you, so you did too. Yeah, it's it wasn't nice of me. All right, so I just wanted to get that out of the way because I was pretty pissed off on Friday about it, <laughs> and I needed to get it out of my system. And then I thought I was, I thought I was pissed off, and then I read the LSU story about yep. how essentially LSU, as an organization, both football and otherwise, but including football, has been largely covering up sexual assaults for years since Coach O's been there. I think USA Today wrote the big story, and it's. Going back to 2016-ish, right? Early 2016 with yeah. Darius Darius Geis is mentioned. Uh, wide receiver Davis is a big name as well. And, and largely, it's just a, a long litany of opportunities for LSU to do the right thing when women of their community come forward and have complaints about how they've been treated. And it seems like, I, I don't have the time, nor do you, to get into all the details of every single case here, but go read about it if you want to. What it feels like is that it, it just feels like a broken record. It feels like this is Baylor. This is Jameis Winston. This is Penn State. This is Michigan State. This is college football repeating itself because people in power choose to protect the institution over the safety of the people in their communities. And every one of these situations, Aaron, and I'm going to let you go here, but every one of these situations there is a there is a moment in time where someone can choose when they learn about what happened to do the right thing and investigate it and report it to the right people or choose not to. And it seems more times than not in football, we are stuck with people who don't choose to do the right thing. And I'm not saying that it's not hard to do. I don't care. <laughs> do what you're supposed to do to protect people around you. And that is just not what LSU clearly has done in this situation. I'm gathering my thoughts. Um, there is not, I mean, I was, I have been around this on both the side of being friends with someone who's experienced it. And then also as an employee at an athletic department. And I will tell you, I won't speak to her experience or anything like that, but it is, it hits close to home. I'll just say that to, to preface it. But on the athletic department side, there is no question about what you do. We sit through two mandatory all staff title nine trainings each semester we sit through one a semester we sign a piece of paper with our signature on it saying we understand what our roles and responsibilities are it is beaten over our head i even called two people from two different sec schools today and said hey before i talk about this is it just vanderbilt who's being this psycho about it in a good way or is this all of us are we all doing this and they both said 
This is beaten over our head over and over. When someone comes to you and they start to say, hey, I'm going to tell you something and you see what direction it's going in, you stop them. You say, hey, before you keep going, I'm absolutely here to like hear whatever you want to say, but know that I have to report this to Title IX. I don't have a choice. I'm a mandatory reporter. From there, you can decide what you do with it. If you don't want to press charges, you don't have to. If you just need to go to somewhere like Project Safe on campus, get moved dorms, you can do that. The options for a, we call them survivors now, not victims, is absolutely the widest spectrum. You can. It you doesn't mean ha- you're going to get justice out of the deal, but you've got options to report. You do. You yeah. don't have to. It doesn't mean in the, you, they would be scared. They talk. They talked about doing mandatory punishment, but most most survivors don't want to do that. Most they most of them want to be heard. They want to be taken out of a situation that puts them or, or someone else in the future in danger, and they want it addressed. And a lot of people, you know. They're not out to ruin someone's life or career that slipped up. In fact, that's why a lot of people don't speak up about, you know, small instances. But when you have people that around you that are supposed to protect you and they they fail to do that, it means you're putting, you know, as as a group, you're putting someone's well-being, you're putting your own selfish needs and your win-loss record above someone's well-being. And that's that is so far from being okay. And, and the question is, easily going to be like how much did coach O know and how much was he responsible for and the same question about Art Bryles the same question about Joe Paterno at Penn State the same these questions of how much do people know and when are almost always going to go unanswered we, we, we almost will never know exactly what coach O knew about Darius Geis but based on the really 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 good reporting sounds like everybody knew at LSU what Darius Geis was doing <laughs> you know multiple charges and accounts of rape like it sounds like everybody knew and it reads like everybody knew that officials in every department and coaches of other teams and administrators and officials and weight people's training staff and all this stuff knew a lot of stuff. And so do I, do we know if coach O sits back in his office at the end of the night and heard about all this stuff and chose to, to look the other way? We don't know that. We don't know how much Art Bryles knew specifically. We don't know how much Joe Paterno knew specifically about Jerry Sandusky, but we got a pretty good idea. And at the end of the day, you are the boss of the football program. And if you think for one second that something like this is happening on your campus, you are the most powerful person on your campus. When you are a football coach in the SEC, you can get shit done that other people cannot get done. And if, you, if you're Coach O and you knew about it and all these things have happened since then and they're not investigating cases and they're not submitting police reports and they're not letting the victims see their own police reports... At some point, if you knew all this stuff was happening, Coach O, you could step up and get it fixed because you're the football coach at LSU. And this goes for everybody. This is all the people I'm talking about here. This is what I hate about college football. And that being said, once you figure out what the let let title nine do their job once you know what the move is that needs to happen you yes i agree with you that you can be the person who does it does the right thing does it publicly and to set a standard for everyone to come behind and everyone to see i'm not saying you you go in and decide as a football program but when you have multiple accounts from multiple people um, suggesting that don't know about each other suggesting that you know they were put in a dangerous state by a player. Um, you know, y- you can you can take you can take measures that 
you know, people get people get in trouble with their program in their school all the time. So you don't have to. I, I don't. I don't want to get into the weeds of it. Yeah, but. yeah. Drake, Drake Davis was is another featured part of that, and he's been. It's it's a lot of complicated stuff, but basically, he looks like a piece of shit, <laughs> and no one stepped in and is going to like. I'm. She needed help first, and nobody did that, and that's obvious. But you step in and you say, "Dude, like, what are you doing?" And if kicking him off the team is how he's how the behavior stops, then you that's helping him, right? Like Darius Geis did some awful stuff, it seems, allegedly, went to the NFL, did it again, and the Washington Redskins football club, excuse me, said, you're done, dude, and they cut him. Just like that. It doesn't, only in criminal law do you have to be with on, beyond reasonable doubt. You can kick people off for a lot less than, you know, a once the gavel hits the, yeah. the desk. So I, I'll I'll leave you guys with, with this um, on this topic because – you know, I know this is a football show, but we couldn't go without talking about this issue, especially Aaron, because I know you you've sat through Title IX mandatory re- response meetings, uh, and have sort of you've seen all the different angles of this type of stuff through your experience at a program. I, I'm on the board of a of a, a child's charity, child sexual abuse charity here in Nashville, and the law in the state of Tennessee is if a child tells you about sexual abuse, you are to report it, or you are you are a criminal. Like that is criminal behavior to not report it. It doesn't ask you to go find facts. It doesn't ask you to go talk to witnesses. If a child comes to you and tells you that something has happened to their body by someone else, you are obligated by law to go tell people. And the way, and we are one of the top five biggest clinics of our kind in the entire country. We treat almost a thousand sexually abused children a year. And the one, the number one rule that we teach people is to believe the child. And to then try and then act to get them help. If we treated college-aged women the same way we treated children in that sense, I mean, it would still happen. But we'd be able to to address the problem on the back end better than we do now. Does that that analogy make sense? Like, when a woman comes to you and says, this has happened to me, believe her and take steps to try to solve it. Right. You don't have to investigate, like you said. But you have to get that information into the hands of people who can and hopefully will help and it is (laughs) more often than not I'm not laughing because it's funny but it's there are situations where people say things that happen that didn't but more often than not there is an air of truth to it and that those people don't benefit from you know just saying it because they feel like it so you know really really take it with with the seriousness seriousness it deserves. And, and I'm not saying believe every, like you said, I'm not saying believe every word to be fact and go like throw a guy in jail. I'm not right, saying right. that. What we're saying is, is take it seriously and go do the investigation because that's what LSU apparently didn't do is LSU was getting all these different complaints from all these different places, including non-athletes mm-hmm. and going through the motions on the whole thing. They didn't take it seriously. Their only job was to get it all to Title IX. Really, it's not hard. It's really not. It's your only job is to get it to Title IX, and then you are supposed to wipe your hands of it yeah. and step away. And That's they, all you got to do. And they figured out a, round, a way around that by not ever getting it to Title IX. Correct. It, it's it's upsetting, Aaron. And it wasn't a feel-good topic, but I'm we had to address it and, and okay. moving on. I, I have all openly rooted for Coach O, and now I have major questions about how much I can root for Coach O. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I, people can feel the way they want to feel, but I need a lot more information about Coach O before I start rooting for him again. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lock close my mouth for now and okay. let it 
let it play out. So go Felipe Franks is what you're saying? I mean, <laughs> go Sam Pittman. Go Sam, I, bet, go I, bet, Sam <laughs> I bet he's so excited to... I can't imagine the anxiety of him watching this in his pool house. Like as a head coach watching your team on TV, I bet that was very difficult. That Just, is a good way to lighten the mood. Sam you know, Pittman in a pool house. <laughs> right? With a bulldog. Oh, it was funny. Okay. It was funny. Here, off we go. All right. So um, that that just about does it for this week. A lot of light stuff on the show. Uh, all right. Josh Kendall from The Athletic. Really great insight as to the coaching search for South Carolina, what led to Will Muschamp's firing, and, of course, where do the Gamecocks go from here. So without further ado, our conversation with The Athletic's Josh Kendall. Josh, first of all, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Try to tell everybody what your last few days have been like. We're recording this on Monday morning, and you've been driving all over the southeast, you know, tracking down a coaching issue. Kind of explain to everybody what your last couple of days has been like. Well, nothing, as you know, about 2020 has been normal. So uh, in, in 2020, under normal 2020 circumstances, the decision to go to Oxford, Mississippi for an away game would have been a tougher one. I would have thought, you know, and the company would have thought, maybe that's a, maybe that's a road trip we punt on in 2020 because of all the challenges, et cetera. But we had entered the stage of South Carolina's season where every game might be Will Muschamp's last. So you kind of had to be there. So that was, that's in your mind as you're driving to Oxford, Mississippi on Saturday. You see what they do on the field. And it's, you know, comes even further to the front of your mind. Ray Tanner and Bob Castle and the school president spend 10, a good 10 minutes on the field in Oxford, Mississippi, after that game ended and the field had cleared out, having a very serious discussion, which was clearly sort of the final bow on Will Muschamp's coaching tenure. They make the change yesterday, and now, you know, you're driving back from Oxford, Mississippi, fielding phone calls and making phone calls to dozens of people who are trying to figure out what's going on. And now South Carolina picks up the pieces, starts, you know, figuring out how to, how to cut all those buyout checks. And Oh, by the way, has to go find another football coach. Hey, l- let me get your thoughts on 2020 sort of as a, a, a piece of evaluation. I, I think Will Muschamp is unique in, in that he entered the season sort of pretty close to the hot seat. I'm not sure how much 2020 should be a real accurate measuring stick for any coach. So how much of the decision to move on from Will Muschamp is tied to what you saw this year in 2020 versus the the entire scope of his career in Columbia? He had no house money to play with coming into the year. That being said, I thought that a pandemic, I thought that being $40 million plus short of your budget because of the pandemic would mean that there wouldn't be a coaching change this year. I forgot a couple of important things this is the SEC being the most important thing I forgot. But I also couldn't have predicted the way this team would look. Rewinding to last year, they upset number three, Georgia, in Athens, and then lose five of six. Now rewind a month. They beat number 15, 14, Auburn. Everybody thinks maybe they're on to something. And then they lose three. And they not just lose three. They look really bad losing three. And not just on offense, which has always been Will's problem, but on defense, they've given up 159 points in the last three weeks, the most in a three-week span in school history. Coming into this season, they had never given up 48 or more points in three games in a season. Excuse me, they had done it once in 1995. They've done it in the last three weeks. They look helpless. 
they look lost. South Carolina decided it's going to cost us more in the long run and fan apathy if we don't make a change. And, and the buyout, I think I've seen reports around $15 million is just in, in your guesstimate. Again, I know, you know, how much, you know, here we, nobody really knows, but how much does any school right now go to its boosters that really want a move like this made, knowing that they're in a budget shortfall but need extra cash? How, how much are schools, you think, in this situation calling on boosters to try to help get that paid, uh, you know, to, to cover costs of making the move, like you said, to help fan apathy in the long run? I think you always pass the hat in a situation like that. I think in a situation like this, I think you especially pass it now when your own coffers are under such stress. Now, a lot of people in the country are hurting and or at least nervous. So you've got to figure that it's a tougher ask to write those checks. But this was a motivated fan base. The buyout is going to land right around $13 million. He made an amendment to his contract in December when he hired Mike Bobo to kill the escalator clause in his deal, which also affected that buyout. So unless they've negotiated something, and they might, or Will Muschamp gets future employment, and he probably will. But right now, the buyout would look at like about $270,000 a month through December, 2024. That, that, not bad. That, that is incredible. Yeah, especially with the, with the money he got paid to, to not work at Florida as well, Josh. Um, good, good work if you can get it. Um, real, real quickly here, tell everybody the biggest players in South Carolina booster football. I'm not saying that they're the ones behind this decision. I'm just curious uh, as, as a side conversation, sort of who are the big players as far as South Carolina's biggest boosters? Well, Eddie Floyd is probably the longest tenured big booster he's now he's now a member of the board of trustees he's a guy who wields a lot of power in that group wields a lot of power at the top of of south carolina's food chain there's a the long family ken and cindy long they own a series of drug stores around here they just donated the bulk of the money for the 50 million dollar ken and cindy long football operations facility you know that gets you a seat at the table when you're talking about a coaching change yep. um Darla Moore uh, is is a big booster. The Dodie Anderson, who recently passed away, but had been a huge booster for this club. So, so there's a group um, led by, I think, in terms of of the the power they wield by Eddie Floyd, and then the Long family would be kind of second in command there. So, how does that group of people influence the search? How does the fans' opinion of where this program is at influence the search? What what? Are, are they obviously Hugh Freeze is going to be top of mind for everybody and, and he's doing really, really good things at, at Liberty, but obviously you have to sort of hold your nose and take a shower after the press conference if you're going to hire him. But if you're looking for someone to recruit against Clemson and Georgia and Florida, he, he might be the guy. Um, so sort of take us through what fans are looking for and what, what style South Carolina should be looking for and maybe what names fit into that style, obviously. The wild card is Bob Castle the school president. Uh, been here about a year and a half former superintendent at West Point, former football player at West Point, hired Jeff Munkin, a guy who um, believes athletics is very important to a university, and not just athletics, but winning at athletics. So what does he want to do, I think, is the bigger question. You're going to have people who won't freeze. I, don't, I, I think that's too high a hurdle for South Carolina to cover right now. Uh, Ray Tanner is not going to be a guy who wants you freeze at all. It might not be – in, in the final tally raise decision, but that'll be a vote against Hugh Freeze, I would think. Um, he's got, Ray's an SEC guy, and, and Hugh in the SEC circles um, 
doesn't have a great reputation. So I think that's a tough ask. I mean, Billy Napier is the common sense, checks all the boxes, next guy in line choice. Um, Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, probably a year away. Um, they're going to be a ton of people. I mean, people here, a lot of people here, are, and maybe people in the SEC, are, are a little um, sick of the Nick Saban assistant. But Steve Sarkeesian is a guy who I think is going to get another shot and is going to be a really good head coach. Scott Satterfield at Louisville, if he's interested in leaving Louisville. Um, we're at the, at the stage where you've just thrown everything out and, and we see what sticks. People will mention Tony Elliott. That's a tough ask on a lot of levels. I'm not <laughs> sure that that happens. Um, you know, if you, if you have to put a, put a leader in the clubhouse, if somebody said nods, and I'm sure they are, I'd put Billy Napier just because he's the safest choice. Jeff Munkin, who Caslin hired at Army. I mean, he, you'll hear his name. Um, so I, I, Billy Napier is, is kind of not a runaway favorite, but, but a slight favorite. What does so? I, I agree that there's a a better collection of G five coaches out there than people realize. I think Billy Napier is one of them. I, you know, Hugh Freeze is on that list. I think Will Healy at Charlotte, you yep. know, certainly from the area from Chattanooga, has got tons of sort of that that pizzazz and that style that you want with with a recruiter in the SEC. Do do fans want a, a bigger? I mean, Will Muschamp was sort of an established name that everybody had heard about, but he'd sort of been through the the ringer at Florida, a lot of the names you're mentioning are guys that are wildly unproven on the SEC level. How would fans react to old hire, you know, return to a guy that people know, Steve Sarkeesian maybe, versus the, the unknown of sort of these upside shots that maybe have more potential? They're not going to be happy with an unknown because, you know, they, they don't you, – you don't – you have – an unknown is just that. He's unknown. They feel like they want to compete against Georgia and Florida – there's no reason to believe that Billy Napier or Jamie Chadwell or Will Healy, although I think he is, he's an interesting choice and could be a good choice too, are going to go compete with Georgia and Florida. That being said, you know, we didn't know Urban Meyer was going to do it before we went to Utah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At some point you've right. got to find the right guy and, not just, and, and the right, not just the right guy because he's gone out and done it. Because, frankly, if you're South Carolina, you're not going to get a guy who has gone out and done it and has no problems. I mean, the fans want Hugh Freeze. I don't think there's any question if you polled the fan base. They all want Hugh Freeze because they want to win and they don't care how it gets done. I don't think that it's going to – I don't think that that's going to be the reality for South Carolina. I think they have to make a good choice among a crop of good coaches but unproven. And you've just got to forecast the future a little bit. Hiring a football coach, I mean, frankly, is a bit of a crapshoot. Jeremy Foley is considered one of the best – ADs in SEC history, and he bat, he was hitting about 500 on hiring football coaches. <laughs> right. Sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you don't. Um, South Ron Carolina, Zook. Ron Zook, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, South Carolina needs to get it right. Uh, you just mentioned compete. Fans want to compete with Georgia and I in Florida. I've always found South Carolina to be fascinating because they have they have the 85, 90,000 fans that that will pack that stadium for largely not a lot of return over the last 50, 60 years. You did have a, a burst of, of really high-level success. A lot of that tied to a really incredible in-state crop of, of players that went to South Carolina. What, what is a reasonable expectation year in and year out? Is 10-2 and and competing for the East with programs with bigger budgets and better history and, frankly, you know, equal if not better recruiting bases? Is that a reasonable expectation for this program? No, I don't think so on a consistent basis. I think a reasonable expectation is 8-5. and five eight and four every year and going into a bowl game. And then every now and then you get in the conversation in the SEC East in November. I, you know, 
they, they don't have the name recognition of Georgia and Florida. They don't have the resources of Georgia and Florida. They don't have the recruiting base that Georgia and Florida have. It, it's a tough ask to compete with Georgia and Florida on a yearly basis in the division. And I think you're chasing fool's gold and hurting yourself in the long run if you try to chase that. I think South Carolina needs to, needs to say, okay, this is what we are. This is what we should be shooting to be and put all their energy to that, not chasing something that I'm not sure they're ever going to catch. Josh, always a pleasure, man. Incredible insight. Uh, everybody follow him on the Twitters, of course. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. Pay for great journalism of, uh, as well. Football and Grits, the SEC podcast as well. Thank you, Josh. We do appreciate it, my man. Thank you, Brad. That was Josh Kendall of The Athletic, one of the most well-sourced and you know, long-time reporters for South Carolina Athletics. Love talking to Josh, Aaron. And if you had to pick one name, a lot of good insight there from him. If you had to pick one name for South Carolina, who do you who do you go after if you're Ray Tanner and 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 staff and company? Billy Napier. I I want someone that the Gamecocks can invest in. He can be their own, grow with them, um, not recycled SEC. You know fraternity and <laughs> I think that's what the Gamecocks fans want as well a good recruiter from the southeast has a little head coaching experience in the group of five levels so not stepping into his first time head coaching job a lot to like he sort of as Josh just said checks every single box uh there I, I you know if he doesn't want the job I'd love to see him go after a guy like Will Healy rising star on the in the the coaching ranks he's got ties to the area good recruiter instantaneously builds culture although if I'm Vanderbilt that's the guy I want actually if I'm Vanderbilt I want to go get Will Healy because he's he's like all the good of James Franklin and none of the bad <laughs> <laughs> he like instantaneously can build culture out of thin air the way James Franklin could um but special talent but yeah we'll just leave it at that um <laughs> Will, Will Healy's the guy I would go after um and then of course I you know like like Josh said, see if you can go get a see if a Power Five guy's interested. I don't, I don't know why you don't make a couple of calls to guys who are sitting in, you know, Jeff Brom at Purdue. That's a yeah. good job, but it's not. You know, South Carolina's pretty good too. So pay you can pay a lot more at South Carolina. You know, fishbowl. You know, more money, more pressure. Blah blah blah. Whatever. I would make some of those phone calls too. So meanwhile, M- Muschamp is probably vacationing in Bora yeah. Bora. Actually, he probably is going to be on Saban's staff before the end of the year, uh, running <laughs> running the defense for them. Uh, in the rehabilitation clinic of Nick Saban. Uh, all right, so this is normally the part of the show where I'd say, hey, Aaron, what, what, what's going on with you this weekend? But last time I asked you that, you said nothing, and then you went and had dinner with the best baseball coach in college baseball. Yeah. That'd be Tim Corbin. I of did. Vanderbilt University. And I asked you that, and you didn't even say anything. You got done with taping of the show, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have dinner with Tim Corbin tonight. And I was like, what? Well, he, you asked if I, we needed to like do something later for this, for the show. And I was like, as long as I'm out by seven, I have dinner plans. You're like, what are your dinner plans? I was like, the Corbins. I'm hanging out with the Corbins. Well, I forget. I hung I, out with Dansby Swanson over the weekend. No big deal. I've spent, I do not, I am no stranger to how cool Tim Corbin is. I have spent a lot of time around him and I, I forget what the, the, the appeal that other people think that's as cool as I do. I, I have I've I've not been around him as much as you, but I've been around him enough to know that he's spectacular. <laughs> he's just I could sit and talk to that dude about anything. He's hilarious too. Yes, he is. Yes, um, he is. So what are you doing this weekend, Aaron? Hanging um, out with any Hall of Famers? <laughs> um, no plans to do that as of now. Um, I'm doing a couple of photo shoots for Ooh. taking photos. 
Okay. Of, um, oh, you're not going to be in the photos. No, not that I didn't know. I'm going to clarify. No, I'm not in the photos. I'm taking the photos. Um, and got a friend's birthday, but it'd probably be a very small group going to dinner, um, watching single, the games. Single, single people or couples? Mostly single. Female, male? Female. Inter, intermixed? Female. Okay. And so then, check her out on the Instagram. Yeah. Okay. And then see if, the, see if the see if the pharmacist is following you on Instagram. I have a it's crush on my joke. neighborhood pharmacist. I need to figure out how to stop picking up prescriptions there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to like, how do I like make him talk to me without like making up an illness? It's gonna make me weird. Next. Just week, kidding. I'm just gonna ask next week on the show. Yeah. I'm just gonna how walk to pick up, up a pharmacist. And, yeah. Well, I'll keep you guys posted. Maybe I'll find a reason to go into that pharmacy and I'm not telling anyone which one it is because no don't tell anybody you'll figure out immediately who I'm talking about oh because he's very handsome I think you'd know okay yeah. yep okay so you can you so I could not look directly at him that's how handsome he is what yeah you, uh, I don't know what that means like like Roman Yossi captain of the National Predators yeah I've been around him a lot and you cannot look him directly in the eye he's too good looking <laughs> like I have to look away I don't know if he's Roman Yossi, but... I have to, like, look to the side. <laughs> Roman. And he's like, why are you looking that way? <laughs> like, That's exactly what he sounds like, too. Um, well, okay, I'll keep you guys updated on that. There you go. Something to track outside of SEC football this weekend. Thank you for listening. You can follow her where? Um, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. The Aaron Dugan on Twitter. You can follow me at Braden Gall on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We do appreciate you listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Later. Later.